Hi everybody, this is Matt Kirby, and welcome to a brand new episode of Groupie and Harmony, a podcast all about music. So there's a few things I want to get to. Um, not sure I'll get to all of them today, just in the interest of time, um, but I'll get to what I can. Um, we'll start off with this though, my shameless plug. I have a Facebook page, it's called Groupie and Harmony. Make sure you give that a like, because I post whenever I uh, release a new episode, and I also post whenever I have new updates about the podcast. Or new updates about my, uh, it's still new, a uh, new blog, Feeling Groupie. So, um, I have a post that's coming out, um, hopefully tomorrow. I, it's all done, I just want to edit it one more time and then I'll release it. I didn't want it to be on the same day as a podcast. And that one is a bunch of unpopular opinions I have within music. And I don't mean like, for instance, something like opinions that are like, metal's the best genre ever, or... Uh, this genre sucks kind of thing like that. That's so, so that's subjective. That's not, that's pointless in my opinion to do. Um, but instead I did ones that while still arguably subject, subjective aren't necessarily based on genre. Like for instance, I had ones like had one direction stayed together. There would have been some wacky and probably incredibly influential albums, um, that they created. Um, Another one is that uh, Sublime did not make one of the two greatest ska punk bands or ska punk albums of all time. And by that, I mean, if you look at the, in my opinion, if you look at the list of greatest ska punk albums of all time, Sublime would not, a Sublime album would not be in the number one spot or number two spot. Um, and then also, uh, being a big, a uh, bit of a metalhead and a metal history buff. Metallica is not one of the two greatest metal groups of all time. So that song will be fun. And in my opinion, the three that I just mentioned aren't even the most outlandish ones I have. Or the most outlandish one in particular I have. So definitely give that a read. I think because I'd give the opinions, then i give some descriptions about that. That'll, that should be posted tomorrow. Um, and then I also have my other blog that I just started. Um, is Baller Trademarked Yet? That one's about the NBA. Um, I gonna have a post that's coming out really soon about that that one's related to fantasy basketball um and in particular uh because espn had uh announced within the last week uh their rankings for uh different play uh for fantasy fantasy basketball ranking their top players and they listed their top 200 so i'm looking at a few players in that like i and like saying whether or not i think it would be a good idea to draft them or not so that's that one. It will be coming out soon. I'm really excited for that one because I'm a love fantasy basketball, and I tend I, I I tend to do pretty well with that one. And I'm not saying that to try to uh, to try to save myself after my awful uh, NBA draft predictions and uh, uh, and Grammy predictions. Um, but I typically end up uh, finishing in like the top two and up uh, in the leagues that I'm in. Um, I think the most notable recent exceptions of that when I. I uh, had to go to the hospital for a couple weeks. Didn't or a week and a half. Didn't have access to my phone, and uh, accidentally left one of my better players on one of my teams on my bench for a week and a half when he averaged twenty points and twenty rebounds a game, which was great. But uh, but yeah, usually I do pretty well with that, so I'm excited to release that one. That one will be in the next couple days. Um, so three things that I really want to get to. Um, it's been a little while since the pro, uh, since protest music series, um, so I want to get to one song with that one. Um, I know I had been advertising it that I, last time I, the, I think it was last time I did the next song I did would be a '70s song, but I have a different song instead that I want to do today. Um, and then I want to. Uh, I realized that uh, recently. I like the last couple of days. I realized that Rolling one that I had missed was that Rolling Stone, a couple months ago, announced their to, uh, an updated list of top five hundred albums of all time, and it's drastically different than the old list, which I think it, or the previous list, which I think is really cool to see, because um, I, because um, I love when um, when like they just totally change up the lists. I find that really fun. Um, and then, um, 
I also, um, I started the, um, excuse me, I started the, um, I started the, uh, State of Music, uh, series last time, and I, because I know there's a few genres I'd love to go into, but the one that I really, I think would be good to do today is emo music, because I think emo music's at an interesting place in terms of popularity, um, because it looked like it, it, I'll, I'll get to why in a second, actually, I don't want to talk about that yet, um, We'll start out by doing uh, the, we'll do the protest music series. So the song that I have chosen today was um, a Jay-Z song, 99 Problems. And uh, I really wanted to talk about that one because in particular, I wanted to do the second verse of it, which is related to, uh, to a black man being pulled over by the police. So, um, I'm, so I, I mean, that one is like, not enough problems, like a classic hip hop song. Um, like consider one of the best, uh, best hip hop songs of all time. Uh, best song, one of the best songs in the 2000s. Um, and I mean, like Rolling Stone put it in, in there, in the tops of both those lists, uh, and also the greatest songs of all time. Um, it won a Grammy and I, I just love one way that in particular Jack White had said, um, he said, it's the story of America in a nutshell. It's the story of all the struggles in America, black or white and, and of class systems. Now, the verse that I really want to discuss is related to, uh, is related to the protest music series. Um, and that is verse two, which is discussing, um, dealing with racial profiling. Um, so before we actually get into that, I realized that I didn't give my, uh, description about what this series is and, uh, disclaimer. Um, so, um, with this series, basically I was inspired, uh, earlier this year, there are all sorts of, uh, with all the, um, social justice, uh, protests, social justice, um, issues that have really come to light, not like they were new issues, but I think, really, I think just, they really got into the mainstream eye more than, uh, more than they had in recent years, and I really wanted to do something on the podcast about it, and after, uh, and after thinking about a few things I could do, I decided to do the series, which I look at different songs by artists of color, or groups that include artists of color. Like, for instance, I, um, like, one song I had done was Killing the Name by Rage Against the Machine, uh, which, uh, well, there are white individuals in the group, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Zach De La Rocha and, uh, Tom Morello are both individuals of color. And I look at these songs, and I look at, uh, and really I just look at lyrics that I find really interesting about them, discuss, like, different things they're saying, how they relate relate at that time, how they relate today, um, and that kind of thing, because for me, in my opinion, in my opinion, knowledge is really powerful, and also, I just love learning, and I think this is a great way to look at that throughout history, um, and I, when doing this, I'm not claiming, I'm not claiming the lyrics as my own, I, every song I did, I, <laughs> I know, I couldn't do lyrics these good for these, a lot of these songs that I'm saying, no, no way, um, and also, I'm not claiming to know what the experience of being an individual of color in the world, and in particular in the U.S. I wouldn't know. I can never know. Um, what I am doing is looking at what these different things, what these different lyrics mean, and really just analyzing them and discussing them in a historical sense. And also, at times, which I think is really nice, is that there were times where I was known what the um, or like the artist has clarified what they mean. So I think that's cool, like being able to look at that with certain lyrics too. So without further ado, let's look at verse two of uh, 99 Problems. So, um, 
excuse me. So um, Jay Z had had said that um, this uh, um, that this this story is it's fictional, but it is inspired by a true story. So um, one thing that he had said about that he had said in uh, an interview with Dakota, um, this is based on a true story, but ultimately it's fictional. Our hero here is riding dirty, road tripping down the turnpike from somewhere farther north, which is how things worked back in the 80s and early 90s. New York guys had better connections and to open up drug markets down the I-95 corridor. It was one of the factors that made coke money so thick in New York during that period, and the competition turned the game, turned the game bloody from Brooklyn to Baltimore to D.C. to the Carolinas. So, um... And also, first where so I'm just going to, um, because I don't want to list this, uh, the podcast as explicit, I'm going to, um, like, not actually bleep it out, um, because I'm not high-tech enough to do that, but, uh, just since I'm using my own mouth. Um, the year's 94, and my trunk is raw, uh, in the rearview mirror is the mother effing law. I got two choices, y'all. Pull over the car or bounce on the devil. Put the pedal to the floor. Um, I think this one is kind of that. That one is kind of cool. Um, just like a um, utilize uh, with the line up, uh, bounce on the devil in particular, because it's kind of like a. Because I think there's two ways kind of thing. Because um, it is kind of like because it does bring in mind like the idea of like the devil on one shoulder, the and angel on the other one. Um. But then also, it could be argued that he's referring to the officer in the rearview mirror as the devil, which I think is uh, interesting. But then also, there's the case that um, uh, risking the car chase could be all, um, uh, could be actually like uh, dancing with the devil kind of thing, like doing that kind of thing. Um. And then, uh, and I ain't trying to see no highway chase with Jake. Um, this one actually, uh, Jay-Z had said that this one actually happened, um, uh, one time, but, uh, he had said that, um, in that same interview as earlier, um, that, um, he, uh, well, that Jay-Z had said that, um, he, in the lyrics that he had said Jack, but then also, uh, it does sound a lot like Jake. Um, but anyways, um, excuse me. Um, anyways, and I ain't trying to see no highway chase with Jake. Plus I got a few dollars. I can fight this case. Um, so I pull over to the side of the road and I heard son, do you know, uh, do you know why I'm why I'm stopping you for, um, and also this one, uh, was intentionally reminiscent of, uh, the, of the NWA song, F the Police, um, and, uh, and they're using, uh, the, um, and it, and they did choose, and, uh, Jay-Z had said, thought, uh, they used the word son there was, uh, intentional of kind of like uh the idea of uh of some of like the microaggression of someone using the calling a black man boy (laughs) anyways to continue um after a son do you know why i'm stopping you for because i'm black because i'm young and i'm black and my hat's real low do i look like a mind reader sir i don't know am i under arrest or or should I guess some more? Um, so that one is, uh, and like at that time, at the time of the release, Jay-Z was like around 24 or 25, which, uh, is like around the, which at that time, and even still today, the, um, young black men are, uh, there's a large disproportionate amount of young black men who are pulled over, um, and frisked in cities, um, by police, so, um, Jay-Z did fit that description at that point, especially, um, 
Um, but anyways, um, while you, while you was doing 55 and a 54, um, that one actually Jay-Z had said with this one, um, what, um, uh, and like, uh, I think it was the same interview. Um, when we did work out of state, we would have everything planned out to the finest detail, but then get caught up for no good reason, like driving 55 in a 54. Of course, the sarcasm in the speed limit being 54 is another way of saying that we're being pulled over for no good reason. Um, and then he had also said, uh, here we have this cop on the turnpike, and he, uh, and he pulls the car over, not because they have drugs, but because the driver is black, which happened a lot. He pulls the car over, and, uh, sorry, I lost my place. Um, he pulls the car, um, oh, sorry, he pulls the car over, and they have this exchange. Both guys are, are used to getting their way. The driver knows he's in the wrong, but he knows he hasn't done anything to be pulled over. There's no th such thing as a 54. I was actually doing the speed limit, and he pulled me over for no reason. Um, which also is uh, similar. I don't know if this is intentional or not, but similar to uh, a line in uh, Nelly's song. I have a song here. Um, oh, yeah, Greed, Envy, Hate. Or Greed, Hate, Envy, sorry. Um, but anyways, um, while he was doing 55 and a 54, license and registration and step out of the car. Um... And then, uh, are you carrying a weapon? I know a lot of you are. So I think that one's really obvious with, uh, um, with, like, the profiling. Um, and also, um, I think even the line before that with, uh, like, registration and step out of the car to jump to that instantly. Because I know, um, so I remember in particular one time I got pulled over because I was lost going to a job interview. Um, and I was, like, I mean, basically I got pulled over and they were like I and I know that like because I was freaking out because I was like I'm trying to get to this job in, or in an internship interview I mean and uh I was freaking out and like I didn't fear for my life though but I know that if I was like for instance if I was black if I had been freaking out the officers probably would have taken a different approach to that than how they took to me like, I didn't have to step out of the car at all. Like, I was driving um, my sister's car and uh, the registration had fallen out of a book and I didn't, I couldn't find the registration and they literally didn't, they were fine with it eventually. Um, I know that I tend to doubt that would have gone the same in a lot of different cases. Including if I was an individual of a different race. Um... And then uh, the next line, and that one is, I ain't stepping out of bleep. Uh, all my papers legit. Um, the, uh, and then uh, uh, and then uh, well, do you mind uh, if I look around the car for a bit? Which uh, that one, of course. Uh, they uh, so police can ask for the consent to a uh, search without a warrant, but even still, uh, um, you are allowed to ref to refuse without a warrant. Um. Anyways, um. Well, my glove compartment is locked, so is the trunk in the back, and I know my rights, so you're gonna need a warrant for that. Um. So, I'm not sure it's quite that broad, but depending, but even still. Um, and the response line is, uh, aren't you sharp? Aren't you sharp as a tack? Um, you some type of lawyer or something? Somebody, imp somebody important or something? Um, which uh, is, uh, um, which in particular, that one is kind of referring to, uh, I'll just read you actually what, what Jay-Z had said related to this line. Um, 
This dialogue is about the tension between a cop who knows that legally he's dead wrong for stopping someone with no probable cause because other than race, or no probable cause other than race, and a narrator who knows that legally he's dead wrong for moving the crack. But legality aside, uh, they both think they're justified. And the fact is that they're both used to getting away with it. So now they're playing this cat and mouse game, taking sarcastic shots at each other, arguing over the law. This confrontation is casual and confrontational at the at all at once and shows how slippery language is depending on which side of the conversation you're on. Uh, he had said that in that same Dakota interview. And I think in in particular, I think this, because uh, I, um, there, cause there is uh, a, I think the best way of saying it is like a, for instance, just think about, for instance, someone of color talking and like using proper grammar, for instance, and the, and the common response eventually uh, for a lot of people is, um, oh, wow, your English is so good. Or, so, or like, for instance, maybe you're in a class with someone with an, uh, someone of color who is, uh, let's say really smart knows a lot oh wow you're i uh, or oh you're i didn't expect you to be so smart so um that that's kind of what he's going for with that but um anyways um but uh then to go on from there well i ain't past the bar but i know a little bit enough that you won't illegally search my bleep um then well i got well, well, we'll see how smart you are when the canine come. Um, this one's actually kind of interesting, actually, a fact that's related to this one. Um, so at that time, so, um, the, um, the case of, uh, Illinois versus Cabela's, um, it was pending at that time with the Supreme Court, um, and ultimately the Supreme Court did, uh, did determine that, um, and that Fourth Amendment right wasn't, is not violated, and the use of a drug-sniffing dog for routine traffic stops so long as, uh, it does not unreasonably prolong the length of the stop. Um, and it was, it was controversial when, uh, that when that one did uh did come up and uh that one is kind of similar to what they're referring to here um and uh and uh the um and then ends with the line i got 99 problems but bleep ain't one Hit me. Um, I think that was interesting how, like, the line right before that discussing a K9 and then using the word that rhymes with hitch that starts with a B. Um, so yeah. So I, he discusses a bunch of that song. I think that line, that, that one in particular, I, I, I think that one is, that verse is really interesting. And oh, that verse did get more attention than, uh, any other ones, which, uh, um, and, uh, it's, like, there's been a bunch of, there's been, like, line-by-line -line analysis about it, um, the, um, um, but, yeah, I think that sounds really interesting, and, um, I actually do have a correction to make. I realized that I kept saying that uh, interview with Decoded. Um, Decoded is actually uh, Jay-Z's autobiography, so apologies about that. Um, I just know, I just realized that I what I just said the total wrong thing there, so sorry about that. Um, but yeah, so um, let's go on to uh, to the Rolling Stones. Uh, uh, to the, to the,
to the Rolling Stone uh, to the Rolling Stones uh, magazines that met or ones I mentioned. So um, they released uh, the top five hundred albums of all time a couple months ago, and I just totally missed it and was focusing on other things, and then noticed it uh, a couple days ago. So I'm not going to do all five hundred. I'm only going to discuss the top 10, but this one's interesting because uh, this one, it sounded like there were a lot of, uh, there were a lot more female artists and a lot more artists of color that had made the list, which one of the criticisms in the past few years in particular, I mean, not the last few years, the last couple ones were, especially with the first one, um, was that they um was that it largely was um but effectively like a list of top 500 white male albums with a few exceptions um this but this one they had more newer albums uh include in fact the most recent album on there was uh harry styles album fine line which was released at the end of last year and it ended up on that list i th at 491 um and then as a comparison, uh, so like in two th and the 2003 edition, for instance, so there were 13 albums that were from the 2000s. Of course, there were only three possible years from it, so there weren't as many. But then, and then by 2012, there were 40 albums from 2020, but then by, or from the 2000s, I mean, but then 2020 edition, there were 50, jumped up to 50. And then uh, 2012, uh, there were two albums from the 2010s, of course, it was only a couple years in, but then this time there were 36, which is a pretty big jump. And then also looking at, like, for instance, the 1950s albums, it went from 29 to 10 to 9, and then the 1960s from 126 to 105 to 74. And uh, with similar drops in, like, the 70s um, and 80s as well, uh, and then the the 90s uh, jumped up from uh, 61 to uh, 73 to 103. Um, but yeah, so um, this one I think is... One that I think is really interesting is that for years, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Band has been at number one. This one, it jumped all the way down to 24. I'll confess, I'm not, I'm not opposed to it. Um, and I mean, I know that... Uh, and I know that, like, the influence that it had on rock music and uh, the album in particular. But I think that it was blown a tiny bit out of proportions in some ways because some people are like, it's the first concept album ever. Well, really, it was, like, three tra tracks were the concept album and then the rest of it was just other songs that were filled in. Um, and then... Uh, and then also, I think that from a sound perspective, perspective I didn't think it was number one. Um, said the top 10 on this one are What's Going On by Marvin Gaye, Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys, Blue by Joni Mitchell, uh, Songs in the Key of Life by Stevie Wonder, Abbey Road by the Beatles, Nevermind by Nirvana, Rumors by Fleetwood Mac, uh, Purple Rain by Prince and the Revolution, Blood on the Tracks by Bob Dylan, and The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill by Lauryn Hill. So, um, Um, so I'll quickly go through album by album with these ones. Um, what's going on? That one, I think that was really interesting that that one was chosen for this year because, uh, in particular, that album in particular dis uh, had a lot that was discussing race issues at the time. So it is interesting to like see that given in t that this was released in 2020 when there were a lot of, uh, so, um, different social issues, uh, regarding race and a lot of, and. Um, and a lot of racial issues that were brought to the public again. To see that an album like that is the number one album that is kind of representative of um, of both the uh, when it was released in uh, I think it was seventy four. Um, let me, I can tell you in a second, seventy one. My bad. Um, so nineteen seventy one. Um, and then, um, even still, to see it kind of uh, ring true today, I think that's really interesting. And I think it really is a testament to uh, the message on the album. And, of course, it's 
it's typically been in the top 10 of those albums at those lists. So I think that's totally fair to have it at number one because it is a very well-made album. Uh, number two is Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys. Um, that one had been at number two, I believe, for a while. Because, um, you know, there were people that were effectively saying that um, Pet Sounds is the Beatles, I mean, it's the Beach Boys version of Sgt. Pepper's. Um, I, I always felt like Pet Sounds was a better album, but Sgt. Pepper came out first. Um, yeah, I, I think that's an excellent choice as well for the, I think it should be, I mean, my view of it is it should be in the top two anyways. And I think for it to be behind what's going on, totally fair. I, I mean, if I'm the Beach Boys, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be ashamed about that. Um, and the number three is Blue by Jody Mitchell. That one is an interesting one. Um, that one, because uh, I mean, it's an excellent album. Um, I, um, I was a little bit surprised to see it as high as it was, but it's a stunning album, beautiful album, um, and it's aged incredibly well. Also, um, I mean, a lot of uh, there are a lot of critics that have said it's like it is the best album by by a uh, by a female artist and i think that which i think is fair there isn't one another one that jumps out ahead of it in my mind right now um but yeah i do think that it's a i think it's a good choice excellent album um number four songs in the key of life legendary album i think that's totally fair to have there um just that's definitely stevie wonder's best um, number five is Abbey Road, which there had been a, f for years there had been a few albums ahead of it, like uh, I think Revolver um had been ahead of it, um, Sgt. Pepper had been ahead of it, um, I think there was another one I can't remember which, probably the White Album too, which also the White Album I think was higher up, but it dropped down to twenty ninth. I think it was in the top ten before, um, Rubber Soul might have been too. I don't remember, but I always felt like that. Abbey Road was the Beatles' best album, and in particular, just uh, the work that um, their uh, that producer George Martin was able to do on that album. Um, for instance, uh, like he made it so like uh, some with that album, because by the end, because there was the Lennon and McCartney songwriting duo was legendary, but by by the end of the Beatles, one thing was that they. Um, they had different directions that they wanted to go. So, like, for instance, Paul McCartney, while, while hoping to still have, make, like, a great album, he was really focused more on the singles. When, um, on the other hand, um, John Lennon, while still focused on the songs themselves and the singles, he was more focused in on the al how the album sounded. So then they were able to make, do it where the first, the first half of it, I believe it was the first side in particular, um, had, um, I believe ev, um, I believe, um, all the single, uh, it had, it had the singles and it had every song that, um, almost every song that, uh, was, um, that was like, gonna, that was like the, that was like the big, the big hit songs. Um, the exception there is that here comes the sun wound up being on side two. Um, but realistically it was like tracks one through seven were like effectively kind of like a, the Paul side. And then the other tracks were like the songs that flowed right into each other. Cause you had like, because you never gave me your money, the sun King. And then, uh, all the short, the really short songs that just got thrown in all together. Um, And then, um, um, and then, uh, let's, uh, then also, um, one thing that I think is a little fun fact about that is, uh, in the song Come Together, which was the, um, which was the lead single along with something from that one is that, um, the, le in the legend, um, in like the legendary part that was, uh, uh, that was John Lennon singing that was singing, uh, shouting, shoot. Um, 
In fact, that one actually wasn't, um, he was, it wasn't in the line to shoot, to shout, or it wasn't in the lyrics weren't to shout, shoot. In fact, that one actually, um, John Lennon was in a really bad mood and in the recording just kept shouting into the mic, shoot me. Um, but, and then they were like, we can't do We can't have them saying that in a song. So, uh, so George Martin had, uh, the, this loud bass line that covered up the me line. So you can't really hear it. So I think that one is, I find that one out so cool. Um, who's such an amazing producer, but yeah, so a little couple of fun facts about that one. I think it's their best album. Um, number six, Nevermind by Nirvana. Um, I mean, probably... I mean, there's a lot of great alternative albums, so it's tough to necessarily say what the best one is. But from an influence standpoint, yeah, I'm not surprised that that one's number one. Um, that one really was the... Um, that one really was, like, the um, what made the... Uh, help make alternative music as big as it was in the 90s um and i think that uh um it's a really important album and i think it still is influential today um it was kind of ahead of its time with a lot of things so was kirk Cobain. so i'm not surprised to see that at number six i think that's totally fair um, number seven, Rumors by Fleetwood Mac. That one's a really underrated album. That one, I don't know if it, like, it necessarily, like, changed the world or anything like that when it was released, um, like, from a musical standpoint, but from a sound standpoint, gotta be up there near the top. I've always, like, thought, felt like that, just from an outright sound perspective, that, uh, Rumors or London Calling were the two that came to mind for probably up there near the top. Um, number eight. Purple Rain by Princeton Revolution. There, <laughs> that one's a great album. Um, in in particular, I think the title track is stunning. Um, the instrumental parts in that one is absolutely incredible, and it is like really experimental, really innovative in a lot of ways. Um, utilize a lot of different genres. Um, it, it, I just, it's such a cool album, such a well-made album. Um, then, uh, let's see, um, number nine, or no, yeah, number nine, Blood on the Tracks by Bob Dylan. That one's an interesting one, because, I mean, there's a lot of Bob Dylan albums you could have chosen. I probably would have gone with High Highway 61 Revisited, personally, but... I mean, I think that that one, um, that one did, uh, have, uh, like, lyrically, it was one of his strongest ones, um, and it did reach the point where most of his, uh, where with most of his future albums, they would say, um, you would have them say it's his best album since Blood on the Tracks. So, um, it's a good album. I don't know that I would have included it in the top 10, but that's why it's not me just making the list. It's a bunch of people. And then number 10 is Miseducation of Lauryn Hill. That's awesome that that album wound up in the top 10. I've always felt like it was, it was kind of underrated and that was an absolute masterpiece. Um, I think that's so cool that it did. Um, Yeah, I mean, I mean, lyrically, it was awesome. Like the style, the range stylistically was so cool. Um, the influence that it had is awesome. Um, the um, I mean, how it all, how it all sounded is so cool. Um, the lyrics were also really done well too. I th I really do think that one is just like. Um, that one was just an excellent album. So well made. Um, and, uh, yeah, overall, I, um, overall, I, I, I like the, uh, the list. Um, I mean, I know I mentioned that I wasn't in love with Blood on the Tracks necessarily in the top 10 compared to other ones, but I, I'm not opposed to it. Um, 
I mean, I think it's interesting because there's like, there are like probably 20, 25 albums that you could say, um, that feel like you could say should be in the top 10. But then when you look closer, you're like, oh yeah, there's only, you can only have 10 in the top 10. Um, but yeah, some newer albums that are from the last decade that wound up pretty high, in particularly top 50, I do want to mention are, uh, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy by Kanye, amazing album, uh, To Pimp a Butterfly by Kendrick Lamar, uh, Kendrick's best album, in my opinion, such, a, uh, so deserved to be that high, um, let's see, Lemonade by Beyonce, that one's a, that one's a good choice, that one, um, yeah, that one was in the 2000s. Um, let's see. And then, yeah, that looks like it's it for the top 10. And, uh, just to compare to what it was in 2003. So the top 10 in this one, again, was, uh, What's Going On by Marvin Gaye, Pet Sounds by Beach Boys, Blue by Joni Mitchell, Songs of the Key of Life by Stevie Wonder, Abbey Road by The Beatles, Nevermind by Nirvana, Rumors by Fleetwood Mac, Purple Rain by Prince and the Revolution, uh, Blood on the Track by Bob Dylan, and Miseducation of Lauryn Hill by Lauryn Hill. In 2003, the top 10 were Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band by the Beatles, Pet Sounds uh, by Beach Boys, Revolver by the Beatles, Highway 61 Revisited by Bob Dylan, Rubber Soul by the Beatles, What's Going On by Marvin Gaye, Exile on Main Street by uh, Rolling Stones, London Calling by The Clash, Blonde and Blonde by Bob Dylan and the White Album by the Beatles. So yeah, I think that one is. Uh, I really do think because in particular with two thousand three, I think that Sgt. Pepper hasn't necessarily aged as well as Abbey Road has. Um, same thing with like Revolver, Rubber Soul, and even the White Album. I think a lot of people, it's like, kind of got to the point where it's like the White Album is like okay, it's yeah, it's experimental and all, but. Um, so I'm not surprised to see a bunch of those albums change out. Um, but yeah, I just did think that one was interesting to uh, discuss what the top 10 were in particular. Um, you can find all the top 500 in uh, uh, in Rolling Stone. There are a lot of changes to the um, original list, which I think is really interesting. Um, and now, yeah, I have enough time to do this, I think. Um, now we'll do the, because um, this one will probably be a little bit quicker than the previous one I did, um, the state of music. So basically what this segment is, is I look at, uh, as I discuss, uh, different, uh, excuse me, I discuss different, uh, different genres and I say what the state of them in the country is and from a popularity perspective. Um, the reason I chose popularity perspective for, rather than a sound perspective is because that is really subjective to say from a sound perspective. Um, cause like for instance, especially, I think it's looking no further than hip hop music. If, uh, you say hip hop is better now than it was like in the nineties. Well, some people would be like, you're an idiot. And some people would be like, preach. And it literally just depends on what you like more. Cause it's different stylistically. Um, so the one that I want to discuss is, um, emo music. So that one, emo music is interesting because right now we're not in the, uh, because I mean there, it was sounded like by the even by uh by like the early two thousand tens that emo music had largely declined, but like while it did like there were predecessors in like the, um in like the early eighties in particular when you had uh, some hardcore punk groups, um. Or even some early post-hardcore groups like uh, Minor Threat, Black Flag, Husker Du. Um, and then like in the 80s, it, like groups like Rites of Spring. Um, and then uh, other, group later, other groups later on. Um, but then like what we know as, what became known as emo, which was like more pop punk sound instead um came around in the 90s and then um it really starts popularized in the mid to late 90s a little bit um when uh probably the biggest album 
now from that time is Pinkerton by Weezer. In my opinion, their best album. Um, even though also, uh, which it had elements of a bunch of different ones, even though um, their self-titled album did have some others, but uh, it um, that was a little bit emo, but I think in particular Pinkerton um, was more emo than their first album. Uh, even though it was interesting because they went in the more power pop direction compared to a lot of other ones, but that one was a massive critical and commercial failure at that time before it became known as a massive success since then. Um, but then in the 90s, there were a lot of emo groups that had started out like Captain Jazz, Jimmy at World, uh, Christy Front Drive, Braid, Mineral, Get Up Kids, uh, Promise Ring, um, Lifetime, um, and then some early starring bands that ended up becoming bigger later in uh, My Chemical Romance, Safe the Day, um, Census Fail, Taking Back Sunday, Brand New. Um, then it, and there were like signs that there, it was, it was like okay. But then late nineties, early two thousands, um, you had Jimmy World who, uh, um, who's uh, originally was released as uh, the album was titled Bleed American. But then at, and um, but then nine eleven happened. Um like four months later. So they quickly rebranded it as, um, I'm sorry, not four months later, two months later, rather. And, uh, they quickly rebrand, like a month and a half, even they quickly rebranded it at re released it, renamed it Jimmy Eat world. Um, and, uh, that was probably the biggest one for biggest emo song from that one. Uh, in particular because uh, the middle and sweetness were massive success, but then also the album itself was like a critical success also. Um, and then there were some other, uh, there were some other pop punk emo bands that uh, were big at that point. Um, Get Up Kids, uh, uh, Newfound Glory, something corporate. Newfound Glory was probably the biggest one at that point. Um, Uh, then there were, uh, and like groups like Reggie and the Full Effect, The Anniversary, um, Alkaline Trio, Saves the Day, Dashboard Confessional started to get a little bit more popular in that span. Um, but then in around 2000, in like around 2002, probably in the summer of 2002, when, uh, it really took off and, uh, that was around the time that, uh, Jimmy World's album, American was a massive success because that was around the time that the middle suddenly had amazing crossover success. Um, and then Weezer had an album that uh, wasn't really emo at that point, but still there were still enough people that uh, were associating them with it. Um, because while it was, it was more alternative power pop, it, there was still a uh, there was still some, uh, uh, there was still a tiny bit of punk, uh, pop punk sounds in there. Um, and then from there, Dashboard Confessional, um, had started to have some success. Um, Newfound Glory really rose in success as well. Um, Get Up Kids found success. Alkaline Trio, um, Saves, uh, Saves the Day was touring with, like, big name bands like a uh, Green Day Blink Way Two and Weezer. Um brand new had started to have a lot of success. Um Taking Back Sunday also was I like broke out. Um and then you had like some more uh some more like more melodic based bands too from there. So like um you had a uh, uh, Fallout Boy my Chemical Romance, so a little bit, even though they're not really as melodic, but, um, Hawthorne Heights, um, Reliant K, um, Panic at the Disco, Plain White Tees, um, Boys Like Girls, Paramore, um, and then around the same time, IF, AFI started to get really big, um, but yeah, I would say, like, those kind of bands, like, 
Fallout Boy, My Chemical Romance, um, uh, Panic at the Disco, Paramore, pro um, probably might have been the face of it at, might have been the face of the genre at times, um, by that time for the commercially and a file. So, um, and like I mean, these kind of bands all were like massive at Warp Tour. Um, they, um, uh, I mean, Warp Tour was thriving at this time too. Um, and then there were some other ones that also had a certain amount of success. Um, Story so far, Under Oath, which also was like kind of metalcore. Um, same thing with uh, Alex is on Fire, um, which was like a little bit um, more like melodic hardcore. Um, I mean, those ones like also did help, uh, the, um, the influence of, uh, um, uh, of Screamo, um, and, uh, like some other bands that were in that were like Silverstein, uh, and Senses Fail. Um, and another one that I think is a really important one to mention in that around the same time is, uh, The Used, um, because um, their early 2000s, their uh, debut album had some success, but then uh, their second album ended up um, ended up being a massive success after that. Because um, it was kind of emo, kind of screamo. Um, but then in the early 2000s, uh, especially in the early 2000s, and then later on throughout the 2000s, I mean, 2010s, I mean, and then throughout the 2010s, there were really was a decline. Um, so, uh, especially by the mid 2010s, um, you had fallout boy who shifted to more, uh, pop rock sound paramore who did like also kind of like a pop rock sound, but then also had like a new wave kind of sound to it too. Um, totally abandoning it and even like stopping performing some of their, uh, some of their hit songs from their more emo phase. Um, panic at the disco, sh uh, became a solo project and uh, shifted to more pop rock. Um, bunch of bands broke up for various reasons. My Chemical Romance, Alex on Fire Thursday, uh, brand new. And a lot of bands, kind of their popularity kind of waned, like uh, Story of the Year. Um, but there were a lot of groups that were like um, more like involved in uh, what some called the emo revival which in reality it wasn't that emo had died it was just that people weren't paying attention to it commercially um both emo and screamo kind of had that same kind of things so like you had modern baseball had a lot of success a decent amount of success from it uh then you had some other bands that were in that mix like uh, into it over it um the world is a beautiful place i'm no longer afraid to die um Everyone Everywhere, um, great, uh, great Big Pile of Release, Balance and Composure, uh, Joyce Maynard, Owl, but, um, Tiger's Jaw, a bunch of, uh, Front Bottoms, a bunch of other groups, um, and then with, like, more Screamo sounds, you had, like, um, I was like, Pianos Become Teeth, uh, Lot of Spute, um, Seosin, um, Chiodos, um, Thrice, um, Finch, a bunch of other ones too um what's interesting though with that one in my opinion is that a bunch of those groups did continue to have like a lot of success um it, it's and like some of them do continue to like you know um so um because you know modern baseball eventually did break up they broke up in uh, 2016 but their last album had jumped up to 53 in the u.s um Um, and then let's see, uh, Chiros, they broke up in 2016 as well. Um, so maybe that one wasn't the best, neither of these might be the best example, but I mean, well, in 2007, their, uh, second album hit number five in the U S their fourth album hit 12 in, in 2014, hit 12 in the U S which was around the same time that it was kind of starting to die out. Um, and in between there, their third album had was at 30 charted 37. Um, so there was a lot of success from them. And then, um, but I think that the, if we look at Thrice though, because 
Thrice has still had a lot of sustainable success with that. Um, like, cause Thrice wasn't necessarily a band that, uh, um, that was necessarily like the biggest name compared to a lot of the other ones. But even still, like, uh, their latest album released in 2018 peaked at 27 the U.S. And then their previous album peaked at 15. So, I mean, they consistently were, like, uh, for the entire decade, their three albums were all in the top 20. Um, and then for their uh, previous eight albums, seven of them were in the top 20. Um, the ones that missed one, or in, six of them were in the top 20, I'm sorry. Uh, the ones that missed their most recent one was 27. Um, uh, they won at 24, and they had one at 47. So outside of the one at 47, all of them were in the top 30 even. Um, but, and then there is, but there is still hope for a lot of, for individuals hoping that emo music will be, have massive commercial success. So first off, the shows, they are still drawing crowds. Because um, I know in particular, I saw last summer, um, in 2018, I mean, I saw, um, I they had like a, I know I mentioned a couple times, Disrupt Festival. It was like a ill-fated attempt to revitalize Wolf Tour, I think, by Rockstar. Um, and uh, actually, Used and Thrice were both on, were both two of the headliners on that one. Um, and those, they drew massive crowds. Um, especially the used in particular. Um, and then also, um, another big name on it is, uh, was on that one was Circus Survive, which is interesting because they do, a lot of their recent releases are more progressive rock, but they did still like play a bunch of their stuff that is more like earlier stuff that is more post-hardcore and, uh, at times emo too. Also, so, um, they were still playing those ones, um, and that one drew a massive crowd, too, um, and then, also, there are some, there is still, like, some commercial success, um, like, we're seeing, like, some more indie and indie folk musicians that are, that are, uh, performing the, the genre as well, um, or, like, inspired by emo music, because I know I had mentioned like artists like uh um um i think i mentioned into it over it earlier um he's like uh his, uh that project is like an acoustic version um but then also you have like artists for instance like phoebe bridgers or uh connor oberst who are both uh who are both who have had commercial success while both at times being influenced by emo music, um, in particular, uh, while Phoebe Bridgers is like more on the indie, uh, indie folk folk rock kind of sound, um, her lyrics do like she does have lyrics that cross uh, into the line of um, of emo music, and while she doesn't necessarily have the commercial success that of uh, some. Uh, some of the artists mentioned in the 2000s yet. Um, she does have a following. Um, and uh, like her second album hit 43 in the US. And she was nominated for four Grammys for this year. Um, also, another one that I think is... In uh, another one is emo rap. So, um, do, uh, so like I think in particular, because there were a lot of... Because there were... A bunch of hip hop artists that became inspired by, um, that became inspired by like uh, emo artists from like the two thousands. Um, some of and I mean now because it got really popular in like the mid to late two thousand tens, but then Lil Peep, Excess Temptation, and um, and Juice World all passed away within a within a three years or two year span so um while the popularity of the genre um like took off again more after that one 
there is still questions about what the future will hold for that one. Um, because in particular, um, Little Peep was branded uh, um, by by some as uh, the uh, like, for instance, particularly like Pitchfork, the future of emo, and uh, by the Guardian as uh, the um, as a pioneer of emo revival. Um, but then there are still some, there are still some remaining though. Um, like you have some more underground ones, like a uh, German rapper Casper. Um, while he's, uh, I don't know that he's necessarily emo rap. I he generally is considered like, um, uh, he was one of the first ones. Um, and then you have like a, then you have like have some other underground or more underground ones like a Bones, um, Young Lean who has had some popularity, but. Uh, Lucifer is probably the most, probably the most popular, still living one. He's had a lot of success. Um, and um, and in particular, his uh, album that was released this year, um, Eternal Take. Um, well, it wasn't. I I don't know that it was necessarily. Um entirely emo rap there were times where it was uh where there were some songs that were um it still was immensely successful uh mat uh massive commercial success um and i think the really the biggest thing to keep in mind though is that in addition to like i know i mentioned the fact that the tourists were still going strong for some of them there are bands that are reuniting, um, and bands that are still having success. You know, AFI is still having a lot of success. Um, like I know, the last album was released in two thousand seventeen. It hit number five in the U.S. So the last five albums, all like the worst one, charted at number twelve in the U.S. Um, and they can still they're they'll still sell a crowd, no problem. Um, and then um, Under Oath has had a lot of success still um consistently um let's see who else um taking back sunday has is another one that um while their success might uh isn't what it was their last album still hit 36 in the u.s so and they still are like a welcome side a lot of a lot of festivals um now uh good charlotte did re reunite uh after a hiatus in 2015 or it ended in 2015 um and their first album wound up charting at 23 in the u.s which wasn't as good as their three prime albums was better than their previous album but then their most recent album wound, wound up only charting at 164 so that reun reunion came up a little bit short but there, but there still is the big name, My Chemical Romance. The reason that I consider them the big name at this point is because, um, they uh, well, they're they're reuniting, and they're doing stadium tour, headlining a bunch of festivals. The tickets are sold out like crazy. So I'm wondering what kind of uh, um, what kind of uh, shockwave kind of thing that will trigger for the genre. Because there are still pop punk groups that are uh, that have had success, like um, Story So Far is more isn't really entirely emo, but they're more pop punk. They they've had a lot of commercial success and have uh, had good success touring. Um, And there are other bands. I was trying to come up with another one, but I totally had a. I there's one that I can never remember their name. Um, one pop punk band that is had a lot of success too. Um, but yeah, I think that, I the Michael Michael Romance reunion. So um, they did a few shows. Beef. Let me pull up actually the tour because I know they did a couple shows before COVID. Um. 
Yeah, they did one. Or actually, they did one show in L.A. Um, at the Shrine Auditorium. Oh, um, it sold out, and there were and tennis was five thousand one hundred and thirteen, and the show the show wound up being a mass. It was a massive success. Um, so, yeah, that in um. I mean, in in short, I this tour will be big. I think this tour will be big for, in particular, for um, emo music. I don't know exactly what shockwaves it will result in from here, but I think that this reunion w could trigger a something bigger. Um, but we'll have to, we'll see for sure about it, but I, but yeah, I believe that, uh, that will be the sign of potentially more to come in popularity for the genre. But anyways, thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed that one. Um, make sure you like, uh, Facebook page for Groupie and Harmony. If you haven't already, make sure you check out the blog, Failing Groupie. Make sure you also check out, uh, is Baller trademarked yet? I know that not a basketball fan, but still feel free to check both of those out. And in particular, I know with the blogs, um, because I really want, I really want this to be it them to be like more interactive. And I found that from a blog standpoint, it's easier to do that. So please comment things on what I on like when I'm writing after read it. If you have like feedback on it, opinions on certain things, I find that a lot more fun. So I highly recommend you guys do that. Um, anyways. Thank you guys so much, and uh, keep your eyes peeled for uh, the upcoming blog post, and I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye.